it's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, October 10th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jim. There's bad news brewing in Tulare Lake, and that bad news is avian botulism. It's deadly to birds, and rescuers and environmentalists alike are working tirelessly to prevent a massive die-off. The California Report has the story. Then, after a look at local news and weather, KVMR's Paul Emery speaks with retired Fed economist Gary Zimmerman about the latest news in the finance world in another installment of the Economic Report. This is the California Report. I'm Heavy Bolaños in San Francisco. Large-scale traffickers of fentanyl could soon face stiffer criminal penalties in California, the result of a law signed by Governor Newsom over the weekend. KQED politics correspondent Guy Marzarati has more. Under the new law, dealers possessing a kilogram of fentanyl would get an additional three years on their sentence. Possessing more than 80 kilograms would add 25 years. The Drug Enforcement Agency says one kilogram of fentanyl can produce a million doses of the drug. In 2021, nearly 6,000 Californians died from fentanyl overdose. The bill was approved by both houses of the legislature without a single no vote. But two Bay Area progressives, Assembly members Mia Bonta and Ash Kalra, abstained. That was KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati. Governor Newsom has signed a bill that delegitimizes a controversial medical diagnostic theory called excited delirium, which has been used to defend law enforcement in cases where a person has died while in custody. As Stephanie O'Neill Patterson of KFF Health News tells us, this theory is also facing mounting opposition from doctors. Excited delirium is a term that first appeared in the 1980s to describe the sudden onset of extreme agitation and combativeness. Today, most medical societies don't recognize it as a valid medical condition, and the National Association of Medical Examiners has rejected it as a cause of death. Yet in the past 15 years, it's been increasingly used by defense attorneys arguing that individuals who died in police custody, including George Floyd in Minneapolis, died not of restraint or taser shock, but of excited delirium. That was KFF Health News' Stephanie O'Neill Patterson. Over the weekend, the American College of Emergency Physicians approved a draft resolution disavowing its 2009 white paper, which supported the diagnosis of excited delirium that had been cited in use-of-force trials nationwide. A San Francisco lawmaker behind a bill that would have allowed more counties to increase juror pay says he's disappointed about the governor's decision to veto the bill. It would have expanded a San Francisco pilot program that increased pay for low to moderate income jurors in criminal trials, from $15 a day to $100 a day. Assemblymember Phil Ting, who introduced the bill, says that most times, juries are made up of wealthier people who can afford to participate in public service. But quite often, the very people who are in the community with many of the defendants aren't the ones who are judging them. I think it's much more important to make sure that our jury pool is more diverse and our criminal justice system is more diverse. Over the next month, Ting says he'll consider if and how to reintroduce the bill. 
Environmentalists cheered when a ghost lake in California's Central Valley refilled earlier this year because it created new wetlands for birds. But now avian botulism is brewing in Tulare Lake. It's deadly to birds, and rescuers are in a mad dash to prevent a massive die-off. From KVPR, Joshua Yeager reports. All right, clear. Evan King revs up the engine of an airboat. The enormous fan that propels it worse, and the flat-bottom boat glides out over the shallow water. It stretches for as far as the eye can see. King is a biologist with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Within minutes, he points to a cinnamon teal duck. That's a, a classic look at a bird that's infected by botulism right there. The duck's head droops inches above the water. An inability to fly, skirting across the water like that. The bacteria that causes avian botulism lives in the soil here. This strain only affects birds. And the warm, stagnant lake water has unleashed it. Our mission on this ride is to collect as many sick and dead birds as we can. King steers the boat closer to the duck. Coming right at you, right at you. His assistant, Christian Alderson, scoops it out of the water with a big net. King and Alderson have plucked some 500 birds out of the lake recently. In about an hour, we get 15. Right now we're looking at three mallards, two pintail, two green-winged teal, one northern shoveler, and two black-necked stilts. King gently places them into crates and heads for shore. Thousands of healthy birds also swirl around the lake. Some have flown in from as far away as Alaska. Many spend the winter here. Others head farther south. Andrea Jones is with Audubon, California. She says it's like a rest stop on a bird superhighway, and they're all tired and hungry. And then they they hit a disease outbreak, and they're, they're at a stage where they're incredibly vulnerable because they've just done this massive flight. And because California has lost some 90% of its wetlands over the last couple hundred years, these birds are crowded together. That's why, Jones says, it's important to contain outbreaks quickly. Before they get into these numbers of of tens of thousands of birds and have potentially population-level impacts. 30,000 birds died from avian botulism the last time Tulare Lake filled in 1983. The best way to prevent another mass casualty event is to dispose of the dead ones and try to nurse the sick ones back to health. So this team right now is actually grabbing their first bird. A team of veterinarians, including Jamie Sherman, have converted a house near the lake into a bird hospital. Intake is in the living room. Bedrooms are ICUs. They've already admitted some 700 birds. Sherman says it's a lot like treating humans with the bad case of the flu. It's one of those things that sometimes has to just work its way out of that. Um, The treatment is providing them supportive care. They've been able to release 400 back into the wild so far. In total, the outbreak has killed nearly 3,000 birds, though the number of dead has dropped in recent weeks. And the threat of avian botulism should diminish as the weather cools. But rescuers fear an even larger outbreak next spring, especially if El Nino dumps more water across the region. For The California Report, I'm Joshua Yeager at Tulare Lake. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline, 
the California way to 401k. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at SchmidtOcean.org. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, October 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, according to Ubinet, the Board of Supervisors is currently asking residents to complete an online survey. The survey allows you to give your assessment of Nevada County, covering a wide range of topics like economic opportunity, cannabis, wildfire prevention, and more. So the details, the 2023 Nevada County Community Survey asks 44 questions and should take just around 20 minutes to complete. It can be accessed at polco.us nc23, and it'll be open for two weeks. It first became available yesterday and will remain that way until October 24th. As part of the survey, residents are asked to select priorities they think the county should focus on in the next two years. They're also asked to rate the county on several factors, including quality of life, overall economic health, infrastructure, natural environment, arts and culture, parks and recreation, crime, shopping options, diversity, and more. The last National Research Center survey in Nevada County happened in 2017. The results showed then that residents prioritized public safety, the environment, and economic development. In response, the Board of Supervisors prioritized investment in emergency preparedness, economic development, and wildfire prevention. The Center for the Arts is presenting their 28th annual Open Studios Tour this month, featuring artists in Nevada County's western region. Over 80 artists across 57 locations will open their doors during October's second and third weekends so the public can see where art is made, displayed, and appreciated. Stops on the tour include the studios of sculptors, painters, photographers, woodworkers, designers, ceramicists, fiber artists, and illustrators, along with several galleries, collectives, and art facilities. In open studios, members of the public have the opportunity to meet local artists, see finished and in-progress projects, watch live demonstrations, learn more about artistic processes and inspirations, and, of course, purchase original and printed art directly from its source. The 57 studio locations will be open to visit from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on October 14th, 15th, 21st, and 22nd, and all that it requires is a downloaded or printed tour guide to lead the way. If you're interested, you can download that guide online at openstudiostour.org or pick up a physical copy at one of the designated pickup locations. Those include the Center for the Arts, Communal Cafe, Grass Valley Courtyard Suites, Nevada City Winery, Hartwood Eatery and Annex, or Grass Valley and Nevada City Chambers of Commerce. It's National Fire Prevention Week, and yesterday, firefighters from the city of Grass Valley, Nevada County Consolidated, and CAL FIRE led first graders from Deer Creek Elementary School on tours of fire stations. Those tours included a fire engine tour and a tour of a firefighting bulldozer. By doing this, the fire district is able to widely distribute community fire safety messages to the families at home through their children. During the tour, the students, who were kindergarten through fifth grade, were able to try on a firefighter suit as well as shoot water out of a hose. The fire district says that any other K through fifth grade schools that might be interested in a similar tour can reach out to their local fire agency. In the city of Grass Valley, that number is 530-274-4380. 
turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, showers likely mainly before 10 p.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 44. Chance of precipitation is 70%. New precipitation amounts between a tenth and a quarter of an inch are possible. Wednesday, partly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 62. Wednesday night, clear with a low around 46. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, a 50% chance of showers, mainly after 9 p.m. Snow level 8,700 feet, lowering to 7,200 feet after midnight. Mostly cloudy, with a low around 30 degrees. Wednesday, partly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny, with a high near 54. Wednesday night, clear, with a low around 24 degrees. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, a 20% chance of showers before 9 o'clock p.m. Mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming mostly clear, with a low around 53. Winds could gust as high as 18 miles per hour, and the chance of precipitation is 20%. Wednesday, sunny, with a high near 73. And Wednesday night, mostly clear, with a low around 54. And for both Wednesday and Wednesday night, winds could gust as high as between 20 to 25 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Last week, September labor market data revealed that payroll job numbers rose by 336,000 jobs, an increase that's about double what most analysts were expecting to see. Coming up, KVMR's Paul Emery and Gary Zimmerman, a retired Fed economist, discuss what exactly that means for us. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kalb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983, on Spring Street in Nevada City. Rick K-A-L-B dot com. Well, it's time for this week's financial news with Gary Zimmerman. Some big news, Gary. Tell us about it. <laughs> well, Paul, let's uh, start with the real big surprise from the labor market. The September labor market data uh, released last week showed payroll job numbers rose by 336,000 jobs. That increase was about double what most analysts were expecting to see. So you can see it was a pretty big shock. And unfortunately, the markets generally took it in stride. Uh, On the other side of that big increase in payroll jobs, um, the civilian unemployment rate remained unchanged at 3.8%. Still, 3.8% is, you know, a little below what most economists and most Fed policymakers consider to be full employment for the U.S. economy. So, you know, labor markets remain very tight, um, and that, of course, raises concerns about potential increases in wages, although the wage numbers weren't going up as as fast because increases in wages could add to inflation. Um, At a time when the Fed is trying to lower inflation, trying to do it without creating a recession. Oh, complicated stuff, Gary. <laughs> it's all it's all like walking on a tightrope somehow. But uh, okay, yes. Gary. So it does not look like the payroll job market has slowed down much. So how does the uh, three hundred and thirty-six thousand new payroll jobs in September compare with average monthly payroll increases in past years? 
Oh, good question, Paul. <laughs> You're right on target here. Um, at a time when most economists were expecting the number of new jobs added each month would continue to fall, um, you know, that was in large part because of the Fed raising interest rates to slow economic growth, to lower inflation towards the Fed's 2% inflation goal. Um, instead, you get this number of new jobs surging in September, and you get big upward revisions to the July and August job increases. So now in the past three months, the economy added almost 800,000 new jobs. And that's robust job growth in any circumstance. Um, for comparison purposes, um, the period from, you know, it's most of the expansion, uh, prior expansion uh, from 2010 to 2019 before, you know, COVID hammered the economy, the average monthly job increase was only about 183,000 jobs a month. And, you know, Again, looking at just the nine months in the in, through September in 2023, the economy has you know been adding about 260,000 jobs a month. So, you know, it's a big big surprise, and it you know is a warning for the Fed that the labor market may not be slowing as fast and as much as they would like to see it slow. Um, particularly since the unemployment rate is at very low levels, um, and we're now expecting a pretty strong third quarter real gross domestic product growth number. So, um, you know, that that's a concern for the Fed that, you know, the economy may not be slowing down enough to, to bring the inflation numbers down. So it sounds like it's good news and bad news both. Yes. Yeah. It's a tightrope problem. <laughs> Gary, uh, what about the population of the U.S.? Out of the population, how many workers and jobs are there today? Oh, Paul, there are about 335 million um, Americans, um, according to the Census Bureau. Um, in um, September of 2023, the U.S. civilian labor force was about half of that uh, total. Um, that, that includes both people that are employed and unemployed. Um, the other half of the population is you know, retirees, children, handicapped and institutionalized folks, farm workers, discouraged workers, people who've dropped out of the labor force, and persons ser serving in the military. Um, so, you know, out of, out of that um, population figure, the non-farm payroll employment number was almost 157 million jobs. You know, we're just under 47% of the population. Well, okay, um, we're still adding jobs, but but has the labor market finally made up for the millions of lost jobs caused by COVID and supply chain disruptions in 2020? Uh, let me put it another way. Have we added payroll jobs compared to the pre-COVID job peak? Yes, Paul, the economy has more than made up for the approximately 22 million lost jobs in the spring of 2020 when the COVID pandemic was at its worst. Uh, for example, the U.S. Uh, in payroll employment numbers in September hit a record 156.9 million uh, workers, and that was up 4.5 million payroll jobs since the pre-COVID peak. You know, and in fact, just in 2023, um, the Payroll job numbers are up 2.3 million. Um, so, you know, we've certainly reached that peak um, and, and surpassed it by a lot. Um. 
Okay, Gary, do you think this recent upturn in job growth will affect Federal Reserve monetary policy decisions? After the huge September increase that we're just finding out about in payroll jobs, do you think the Fed policymakers will be more likely to raise their target interest rates again to help drive inflation down over the next couple of years? Oh, yes, I do uh, think that it will affect monetary policy. My sense is that the Fed policymakers will likely choose to raise their target interest rate at least one more time this year following the big September jobs report. Um, and, and in fact, several Fed policymakers have already made public comments that suggest to me like they w- should that we should be expecting another short-term interest rate increase probably after their you know early November meeting as you know the Fed can, seeks to continue to slow the economy and the labor markets <laughs> and lower inflation but do so doing so without a, a recession you know the Fed you know I think certainly is tasked with and need, needs to continue to reduce inflationary pressures and most measures of inflation, uh, rates remain in the three and a half to four and a half percent range today over the past year. Uh, that's much better than inflation rates of seven to nine percent at the peak. Um, but you know, four percent is still well above the Federal Reserve's you know two percent inflation goal. Oh, one last question, Gary. Um, with the continued tight labor market and the three hundred and thirty-six thousand new jobs added in September. Does that suggest that the Fed intends to keep interest rates at their current or maybe even higher level uh, into next year, well into next year? Yes, Paul. Judging again from the policymakers' recent statements and from the policy statement after the last meeting, as well as their um, September Fed policymaker projections for the year 2024, I think even that was done even before the surprise surge in new payroll jobs in September. I think the Fed is likely to take a more hawkish policy stance towards inflation as a result of that sort of upturn in the labor market. Um, You know, and this, you know, that you know that includes another 2023 target interest rate increase, and and likely suggests that they'll continue to implement policies like keeping interest rates higher um, for a longer period of time to sort of gauge, give them time to gauge how fast and how low inflation rates are falling, and you know, have a better sense of what we're they are how how they're succeeding on the inflation goal before they begin to lower their interest rate targets probably sometime in um, 2024 gary thanks a lot and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks lots of news today okay thank you paul you're welcome gary zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the federal reserve bank of san francisco and is currently a visiting professor at the vienna university of economics and business in austria He teaches courses in economics and finance. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, October 10th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Mercury Cleaners and Drapery Service, family-owned since 1971. Offering full-service, eco-friendly dry cleaning and laundering of most things fabric. 
with two Grass Valley locations in the Brunswick Basin and South Auburn Street. Delivery service is available mercurycleaners.net and Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City, fourpawsac.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.